Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. August. It's August at the movies and not usually thought of as a stellar time, but we've got a pretty decent crop of movies to talk about this week, including one that we think is one of the best of the year so far. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com, and the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. We're going to start off this week going back to junior high. Ready for that? An introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous eighth grade year before leaving to start high school. It's eighth grade. Uh, it's Kayla back with another video. So, the topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard. And it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. Most quiet, Kayla Day. Kayla, one more week of eighth grade, huh? Huh? I said one more week of eighth grade, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, huh? Okay, so growing up can be a little bit scary and weird. We will begin to explore these changing bodies of yours. It's gonna be lit. Don't hold back, I wanna break free. As always, make sure to share and subscribe to my channel, Gucci. It's funny, so many people think of 8th grade as such a horrible time. I'm, I'm one of the few. I, I had a fantastic time in 8th grade. If this was going to be traumatic for me, it would have been called 7th grade. Oh, so okay. I missed it by one year. That right. was my terrible year. But I do understand the feeling and the awkwardness. And, and what is almost a miracle here is how well a 28-year-old man is able to capture it as the writer-director of this movie. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Bo Burnham, who is a comic, a stand-up comic, and he had a small part in The Big Sick. Yep. So if you know him, I mean, unless you know him from his stand-up, which is very funny, you probably know him from that film. But I don't think any of us maybe saw that he had this in him. Because first of all, let's just start with as a director. It's his feature debut as a director, and it's incredibly well put together. Very thoughtful and smart and savvy in the way he uses social media, not just as part of the narrative, but as visually part of the sort of whole environment. Uh, and, of course, he gets these great performances. But but as a writer, yeah. it's, it's so, you know. The uh, insight that he's yeah. able, yeah. So, because his comedy, it's clear that he was a very anxious, socially awkward person. Mm -hmm. So, but but the the fact that his lead, his character is female, because he nails that element of social awkwardness in a way that I can't believe. Uh, it's so authentic well, and you, you touching know. and terrible and <laughs> heartwarming and like a gut punch and it's it you cringy, but it's. It's just unerringly authentic. Well, you know, in the interviews I've seen that uh, Bo Burnham has done for this movie, he has mentioned that when he started doing stand-up, some of the early feedback he would get once he started getting somewhat well-known was that, oh, he's, he's that comic for 13-year-old girls. <laughs> and then he, he started to realize, you know what? Maybe that's true, and, and, and what's wrong with that? Right. You know, if that's the sort of thing that people I'm speaking to... And that's the, the nerve that he dug into for this movie. So it's just, I think you're right, I think it shows something in his past and his upbringing that, they, that shares a common a bond with that group. And uh, it really comes out in this movie. You're right, the writing, 
has to be insightful, and then the direction has to carry that uh, over. And you make a good point about the social media because it's not used as a finger-wagging. No, uh, which is a nice change of pace. Yeah. I think that so often if you see a film that has this much, like it's this heavy with social media, it's a cautionary tale mm-hmm. about how, uh, you know, that's not what this is. This is simply, so we're going to spend one week the last week of eighth grade with Kayla. God help us. Who's played, by the way, by Elsie Fisher. And you have to know, first of all, I was so glad to know that if you don't know her from anything else, she provided the voice of Agnes, Agnes. in Despicable Me, which is the, it's so fluffy. Yes. So that's fantastic. And she's great. She's perfect. She is so perfect in this movie. And when you get back to the social media aspect, so you start off, she she posts a lot of YouTube videos. She's always posting YouTube videos. It's clear she doesn't have very many followers. Not that many people are watching her YouTube videos. And what they are is basically advice to herself. Mm -hmm. It's advice about how to put yourself out there and how to, you know, and then the the longer you're, you're part of her story, you realize that she is cripplingly shy. And, um, and it's, and it's, it's, but it, so it's not just that he uses social media in a way that uh, kind of rounds out the narrative as the way her YouTube videos do, but also kind of to give you a sense of if there's anything more awkward in, in eighth grade than trying to figure out how to navigate like the social complexities of new friendships and making friends and not being awkward and talking to other people. But when you and everybody else spend all of your time online, how much harder is it to understand how to make real natural human connections. Right, and, and and like you pointed out in your written review at madwolf.com, it, it's <laughs> not that the movie is saying it shouldn't be this way. It's just saying this is the way it is. Exactly. And this is what these kids are growing up with. You know, when we were growing up, we had our world. This is their world. Yeah. And they have to navigate it. And it's so funny. One of the, one of the best scenes... She, she, uh, they all, all the eighth graders go to the high school and they shadow a senior for one day. And her senior is, thank God, mercifully, a very sweet person and who invites <laughs> her out to the mall, you know. And so she goes to the mall, she hangs out with a bunch of other seniors, and the other seniors actually make this comment How old were you when you were on Snapchat? The seniors are, are, are amazed at the generation gap between themselves and, and this eighth grade girl because she was on Snapchat. As right. a child, basically, and and, and that's it's only all an age difference of what four five years, years four, four years, years. Yeah. yeah. So and and I and I thought that 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 part of it, the way that he can just really quickly, without being heavy handed, just give you a snapshot of just the generational constant change, yes. just the generational evolution that that an actual a generation now is about four years. Well, you know what? We brought that up during when we were talking about unfriended dark web. Right. In the, Four years between Unfriended and Dark Web, that's an eon yeah. in this type of generation. Right. You know, and, so and, much has changed. And and it's so funny to see 18-year-olds talking to a 13-year-old yeah. as yeah. though it'd be like a middle-aged person talking to a 13-year-old. Yeah. It's like, we can't even, we don't have anything in common. You got Snapchat <laughs> exactly. when you were like eight. Exactly. It was hilarious and, and very, very insightful, which is what I think the film does incredibly well it's very insightful so you know so it talks there's a lot about how different adolescence is at this one second in time than it would have been for really anybody else watching the film but at the same time it's very clear on the universal it's the same there are so many things that are exactly the same you know during from your awkward adolescent period whatever year that was it was eighth grade for me by the way um, I think being like 12 feet tall in the eighth grade, that was part of the push over the cliff. Um, and uh, and at the same time, sort of acknowledging everything that's universal and everything is completely different, that just this 
crop of children and has to deal that's with. such a hard balance to get right, and it's another thing that, that he nails in this movie. And we haven't even mentioned the relationship with her father, played by Josh <gasps> Hamilton. It's so lovely. Yeah. It's so lovely. And, <laughs> and I think my favorite scene in the film is where they finally sort of, you know, they, they there's no glow from the laptop. There's no light from the, you know, the iPhone. She's sitting outside in the backyard with her dad in this little bonfire, Oh, my God, the scene just kills you. And he does such a great job of really showing just that I don't care what anybody else thinks. Yeah. I think you're the coolest yeah. person I've ever met. And, you know, you got this 13-year-old girl just rolls her eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then finally at one moment where she realizes, no, he really does think that. Yeah. Like it's Oh, my God, it's so beautiful. So if you can't tell, we're pretty high on this movie and expect it to land on a lot of best of lists uh, come the end of the year. Certainly one of the best so far that we've seen this year. That is 8th grade, highly recommended. So let's move on. The next movie this week goes back to 100 Acre Wood. A working class family man, Christopher Robin, encounters his childhood friend, Winnie the Pooh, who helps him rediscover the joys of life. It's Christopher Robin. We should be working this weekend, Robin. But I, I promised my wife and daughter I'd take them away this weekend. All hands on deck. You won't be coming to the cottage. Well, it can't be helped. Your life is happening now, right in front of you. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do indeed. Pooh? Christopher Robin. No. The tree I remember was in the countryside, not here in London. There's no opening. I suppose it's where it needs to be. That's a silly explanation. Why, thank you. Perhaps it's our turn to save Christopher. I love Pooh. I just, I love, I Winnie love. Winnie T. Pooh. I know. I, you know, I Everybody just, does, really. It's so hard not to. Well, so much so that this is the second movie in less than 12 months right. to go back to Winnie the Pooh. We had Goodbye, Christopher Robin, just just about a year ago. And that was a, an origin story about the inspiration for the original stories. An uneven, an uneven movie, but it was trying to be a faithful origin story. This one is a full fantasy story. Absolutely. And Ewan McGregor, always charming, plays the adult Christopher Robin, who is who has left his childhood fancies long behind him, and he's working as an efficiency expert for a luggage company. And he's he's being overworked, and he's neglecting his wife and daughter, and his daughter, it, to please him, is basically not indulging in any fantasy at all, but trying to work very hard and be... And, and, and eventually, of course, Pooh and Gang... They just they just show back up and they they help Christopher Robin see the air in his ways and that his daughter needs a little fantasy in her life as well. Right. And that and that everybody does, you know, to rediscover those those simple joys of life. And in that you get the all the poo and and all the characters uh, come to life through some great CGI really, effects, really you know. Good, they really yes. and really some great are wonderful. Voice, voice work. Great voices. You've got Jim Cummings, the longtime voice of not only Pooh but Tigger. Mm-hmm. He's back to do those voices. Uh, Brad Garrett is Eeyore. Uh, Peter Capaldi, Doctor Who, one of the right. or maybe the original Doctor Who, one, I think of, one so. of the Doctor Who. He's Owl. He's Owl, and you've got some other uh, voices in there, and so that is all very charming. The whole movie is very charming, and really the the, the filmmakers, the talent behind the writers and directors is very impressive. You've got directors Mark Forster, mm-hmm. who has done a Monsters, Monsters Ball, Ball and done um, a few World War Z. Yeah. Yeah, and some you know decently deep finding movies. Neverland. Yeah, and then you've got the two of the two of the writers on the writing team, Alex Ross Perry and Tom McCarthy. Tom McCarthy is maybe I mean he ranks with uh, the Coen Brothers as among my absolute favorite writers, he's done film up, writers. He's done Spotlight, had a couple duds as well, yes, but he has. He's, he's done some great great work. And so was Alex Station R- Agent yeah. and The Visitor, and he has so and many. And so great has things. Alex Ross Perry, who did The Color Wheel, Queen of Earth, and mm-hmm. some others. But mm-hmm. anyway. 
they are capable of some very deep, layered, nuanced movies. And here, one this movie reminded me a lot of, a couple of years ago, the uh, live-action uh, treatment of Pete's Dragon, another children's favorite, was taken over by David Lowry, very talented director. Very, yes. Very serious-minded director. Mm -hmm. And in simplifying, I think the problem, much like this movie, became when they're simplifying too much. They just got a little too, for me, they just got a little too simple and, and, and greeting card sentimentality about, you know, childlike joys. Not that, that there's anything wrong with that message, but it's just so simplified. The, the, the movie has a lot to like, but... As I said in my review, a lot to like, but not a lot to love. It's certainly sweet, uh, certainly ha has, you know, warm fuzzies all over, but I don't think it's anything that's really that memorable. You know, my biggest problem with the film, I'm not sure who the intended audience is because right, Pooh right. doesn't show up for, I would bet, 45 minutes. Yeah. And and the, the story is so leaden up until he shows up. It's it's a it's a little depressing. It's a slog. And, and I can't imagine small children are going to make it that's, through it. That's the thing. It, to me, for me, it was kind of caught between children. Like, you're yes. right. It's, it's such a slow beginning that they would get antsy. It seems caught between children and grandparents right. for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not that it's it's a bad movie. It's not. It's just it's just a little curious. And trying to get back to that original message of the Pooh stories, you know, the childlike joys, the simple joys, it just, but then doing it for more of a grown-up audience in a grown-up way with these, uh, you know, live action and a grown-up Christopher Robin and all that stuff, to me it just, just simplified it a little too much. So it's not quite sure, like you said, what the intended audience yeah. is and, and, and missed the... The, the intended viewpoint, mm -hmm. uh, which which to me hampered the overall effect. Although, again, it sounds like we're really lambasting it. It is. It's perfectly charming. Oh, yeah. Once it got going, once you got the characters in there, once Pooh was, you know, the towel <laughs> of Pooh, yeah. uh, it, it was very, it's charming. It's very, it very, it's very sweet, charming, very but sweet, slight, but, and but, it took too long to get there. Yeah, and not really that memorable. And that's good by Christopher Robin. Up next, the latest spy spoof, Audrey and Morgan are best friends who unwittingly become entangled in an international conspiracy when one of the women discovers the boyfriend who dumped her was actually a spy. It's the spy who dumped me. We just want to talk about your boyfriend. But he dumped me. Drew was CIA. I'm sorry, what? Some bad people are after me. Now they're after you. Why is this happening? I don't know, because you dated a spy. I-5, up here. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Flash drive. You have to swallow it before they come back. There is no turning back for us. We're semi-professionals at this point. Professional. We are professionals. So Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Yep. There you go. They're off on this spy spoof. And, you know, taking nothing away from Mila Kunis, who is totally fine. She's, she has, she's very talented, yeah. but she makes a good sta a straight person, which, which is what you need when you are <laughs> dealing with Kate McKinnon. Yeah, because that's who has the particular set of skills in this movie. I mean, the MVP is Kate McKinnon. Um, if I suppose if you don't think she's funny... Who doesn't think she's funny? I don't know. There are some. And if not, why not? You, you know, anytime you start bringing up people you think are funny, it's almost like talking politics. Somebody's going to go, oh, they're not funny at all. No, she's hilarious. But here's the thing. She's hilarious. We think she's hilarious. And she is the MVP of this movie. It's not hard. The writer-director, uh, co-writer-director is Susanna Vogel, who hasn't done a lot up to now. But even though Kate McKinnon doesn't get a writing credit, it's not hard to imagine having that old Bill Murray Caddyshack treatment where you go, just have Kate do something funny. Right, exactly. Because she does, and she does quite often. She's got a chance to, you know, make her funny faces and use her funny voices and just, you know, do funny things, which is what she does as this becomes, you know, the... the 
the similar um, familiar elements of a spy spoof. There's mistaken identity. There's, you know, exotic locales and, you know, all these villains and something that they end up having a uh, it's a second place fantasy football trophy that uh, her boyfriend, the spy who dumped her, left at her place. And they find out that there's something in there that is very valuable to all these spies and all these terrorists. So they're being chased and everything like that and all sorts of double crosses and who can be trusted and who can't. So as they're going through that adventure, you get a couple of action sequences and some, you know, crazy, goofy hijinks. But mainly you get Kate McKinnon being as funny as she can be. And it's certainly not a great comedy by any means, but she saves it. She really does. When you're talking about late summer August comedies, usually you're thinking, oh boy, this has just been put out to pasture. But, you know, it comes through, it's a a decent time waster. Mm -hmm. Goofy, you'll get some grins, sort of like uh, Christopher Robin. It's nothing you're going to remember as a a memorable, all-time great comedy, but it's funny enough. Mm -hmm. It's just funny enough to, uh, to get it over. And that's mainly... Thanks to Kate McKinnon, because <laughs> that's that's what she does. Right. And one more to talk about this week. We'll go the young adult route, imprisoned by an adult world that now fears everyone under 18. A group of teens form a resistance group to fight back and reclaim control of their future. The darkest minds. Soon, there wouldn't be any kids anywhere. The government wasn't afraid of what happened to the ones that didn't make it. They were afraid of us. Because the ones that survived changed. For their safety and yours, please turn over your children. I will fight for all of us. I feel like I always get the YA movies, George. <laughs> um, I didn't want this one. You're so gonna... angsty. I, I, YA. Uh, young adult fiction, and that's what this is, and so there is absolutely a formula that you can expect. Um, and, and to be honest with you, the movie breaks, doesn't break any formulas, doesn't break any new ground, but it does go a little dark periodically in ways that I thought was interesting. So, But it does follow the formula where somebody, usually a girl, is special. She doesn't know it. The specialness has to be brought out. She has to acknowledge her specialness. Yes. Well, that is the most important element in any piece of young adult fiction, I think. And, and, and you know what? <laughs> that it's we not, know of. Right. And it's not so much that I, I don't necessarily hate that, the idea that we're empowering, you know, the book is meant to empower young women into uh, believing that they're special. Here's what I don't like. It's very important that the young girl doesn't see herself as special in the first place because the people who see themselves as special in the first place are looked down upon as being stuck up. And I hate that. You should just, you know, you shouldn't have to have it thrust upon you. You should just be able to embrace it right from the beginning, but then you would have no plot. You know, but, and you know, that sounds contradictory, but it's not considering what we just talked about in eighth grade, where a girl who is very, you know, uh, shy and in her shell trying to bring out the shell, but so if you're trying to reach those type of people with these type of novels, and so acknowledge your specialness, but at the same time, you do it over and over again, you are you know, making villains out of people that don't do that in order to, like, they're stuck up or whatever. Right, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but that's really not just a problem with this film. That is a problem with almost every young adult uh, novel turned into a film that I've ever seen. Yeah. And this one, you know, it's it's what basically what it comes down to is the X-Men plus <laughs> Divergent plus a really good movie called The Girl with All the Gifts. It's those three yes. movies if swished you haven't seen together. That, do it. 
there's a virus. It hits the children of, I'm going to presume the world, but we only focus on, on uh, the United States. And uh, it kills 98% of all children. And the 2% who uh, remain all have superpowers. And so the United States government and I presumably the citizenship of the country, they're afraid of them. And so they lock them away in internment camps. So and then and it's funny because it's such a one sided perspective that it reminded me at times of of Children of Men, where the entire (laughs) sort of horror and and melancholy of that film is that there were no more children, which means those of us who were adults have nothing left to live for because the generation there's no generation behind us. So we're going to die out as a population that never comes up in this movie. That's a little bit too deep for this movie. This movie is really just about uh, teens banding together and realizing, and they're probably not wrong, they're smarter than we are, we should just let them take over. Um, and that's what reminds me of Girl With All The Gifts. It, uh-huh. it, if this movie were smarter, it would be about sort of the evolution of the species. We have screwed this up enough. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do worse. Just let them do it. You know, and, and in a couple of very important ways, it's very, 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 very timely. Not, not only, sadly, the children in internment camps. Yes. <laughs> But also, we see groups of young adults doing very courageous, exactly. adult, smart things right now. Exactly. So maybe it's not such a bad idea. No, it is not they such a bad capable. idea. And you know, it's a funny thing is that I think I almost held that against this film, which was dumb. Because this, this the movie is not that smart. I'm going to assume the source material is not quite that smart. I just wanted it to be. I wanted it to be more of a comment on on today's society than it really is. But, you know, they're perfectly, it's perfectly reasonable. It's not good by any stretch of the imagination. It's not Hunger Games good, but it's not terrible. But it's interesting to me, Amanda Stenberg is a star. She plays Ruby. By the way, Ruby is our beloved niece's name, and so I always love any heroine <laughs> named Ruby. But she's she's all of a sudden an it girl. She's everywhere. Well, so she's she is like a, a royalty in this particular genre because she is Katniss Everdeen's beloved Rue, Rue. the little girl from the first Hunger yeah. Games. Now she's growing up, though. Yeah, she is. And she was in Everything, Everything last year, and she's got another one coming out, The Hate You Give. Yeah, I've and, seen that trailer a bunch. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and she, yeah, she very much is. She's... I'm not going to say that she's great or that she's incredibly strong, but she's got a charisma about her. She cries easily, and uh, she does a decent job of shouldering, you know, this film. Um, It's just that it's so familiar. The only times really that it isn't is where it does decide to go a little bit dark, which I appreciate. Uh, And it's got, we talked about, you know, the the villain isn't exactly the most exciting villain. The ending won't blow anybody's socks off. No. As we talked when we talked about it ourselves, it's better than we thought it was going to be. Right, because that trailer just just made me groan. <laughs> but not uh, not, not great. Good. Not no. great in this genre, the darkest minds. And uh, that means it's time to go to the lobby for a snack and some home video. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. What are our snacks of choice? You know I love the uh, Reese's that have been in the freezer. I'm not even going to, we're not even talk about what I love in this snack because you, I like a milk dud, George. I enjoy the milk duds. (laughs) That's your favorite all time? That's the candy I want to buy when I'm at the movies. But we don't. We get peanut M&Ms because it's the only thing we both like. (laughs) We're sharing too much. All right. First uh, up in the uh, lobby this time is Tully out on video. It's uh, the latest from Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody. Uh, Jason Reitman, the director, Diablo Cody, the writer, and Charlize Theron, the star, who have done great things. Uh, we're thinking young adult, right. which we loved so, so, so much. And this one is not that good, but it it gets its shots in. This is the story of a woman played by Char- Charlize Theron, who's she's got young children, and now she has a brand new baby. She's got a husband who's not exactly a big help, Ron Livingston from Office Space. 
a uh, big help around the house, and she's just exhausted. And she also has a rich brother whose gift to her is a night nanny, which I'd never heard of, a night nanny. And the night nanny is named Tully, and she comes over at night to let Charlize have what she needs so badly, and that is sleep. Oh, my God. And if, beautiful. <laughs> if you can remember when we our... might have had more than one if there <laughs> was such a thing as a night nanny back in that day. So that's when everything changes, and the uh, night nanny and Charlize become strike up this friendship. And, you know, it's, 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 it's solid. It's really good. It takes some chances that I appreciated. It takes some chances with its story that not everybody is going to appreciate. It's not going to work for everybody, but Charlize Theron is is so good. Yes, she is. Uh, Always. Diablo Cody is such a great writer. She can she can say things without preaching mm-hmm. and she can be relatable without pandering. And this is Jason Reitman, who who has needed to get back in form after a couple of duds, getting back in form. So So if uh, you don't know them, so Jason Reitman and, and Diablo Cody together did Juno before they did Young Adult. And then, of course, Jason Reitman also did Up in the Air. Yeah. He did Thank You for Smoking. Right. And then he had a couple of bombs, and we were so sad. Like Men, and Women, and gr- Children. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Labor Day. Yeah. Oh, so that, it was but, so great to see them get back on track. It was. And uh, we, we both liked it. It didn't, it didn't set anybody on fire at the box office, unfortunately. But uh, I think it's solid work from all three involved. Again, mm-hmm. it, takes a, it takes a left turn in the story that not everybody is going to love. But I appreciated the, the chance that it took in doing that. And I thought it was pretty solid. And that is Tully. One that is not so solid. That's also out on video this week is the remake of Overboard. This one led by Fer- Anna th- Ferris. This one led by Anna Ferris. And, you know, I guess it would be really cheesy of me to say it sunk, but it did. <laughs> it's bad. It's just bad. And, uh, you know, the first one, if you go back and watch the old Goldie Hawn, uh, Kurt Russell one, it's also bad. And it's Really, uh, but it's beloved. It's you know what though. If you rewatch it, it's got one. It's one of those movies where you you watch it and think this could only have been made in the '80s because there are so many things so wildly wrong with it right now that my flesh <laughs> is crawling. Um, but the two leads had such chemistry, and they're both very talented. And and Goldie Hawn was hilarious in the first one, and that's why people looked past. And it was the '80s. That's why people looked past a lot of it. None of that does this film have going for it at all. I really appreciate that that the sort of um, struggling to make their bills group of people included so many day laborers, so much Spanish language. I mean, I appreciated that it wasn't just a bunch of white people. I thought that was a really nice update. But other than that, I don't have much to say for this movie. Yeah, so on home video, Tully is the choice this week. Uh, So what did you think about any of the movies we talked about? Let us know. We always love to talk movies anytime. And the easiest way to do that is hit us up on social media. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Instagram and Facebook, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can catch all our written reviews and some other fun stuff like our horror-only podcast called Fright Club. You can find all that at madwolf.com. So get in touch if you can. And next week, what do we have? Big sharks. That's right. Going Meg. sharking. That's right. Also, Black Klansman, which is great. And Slenderman, which uh, maybe, probably not, but maybe. Well, we, we like the horror movies, so we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and presented by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.